Book Three, Chapter Twelve of Garcia Moreno by Augustine Berth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. His Re-election, eighteen seventy-four, eighteen seventy-five. We have seen how completely the whole face of the country was changed since Garcia Moreno had resumed supreme power. But when the year eighteen seventy-four drew towards its close, the great question of the new presidential election began to agitate men's minds. There was no doubt that Garcia Moreno, the idol and benefactor of the people, would obtain an immense majority of votes over any other candidate, and endless addresses, signed by thousands of electors, were issued in favor of his re-election. This exasperated the radical party, who, beaten in 1869, hoped to have their revenge in 1875. Not to shock the people too much, they chose for their candidate the liberal Catholic Barrero. Garcia Moreno had in vain tried to disarm this old friend by offering him office. He always refused point-blank. Again, when, in 1873, the governor of Cuenca seized and exiled Barrero, Garcia Moreno reversed the sentence and brought Barrero home. But this Cato of Ecuador, as he was called, refused all his advances. Between these two men, in fact, union was impossible. When people spoke to Garcia Moreno about the fusion of parties, he replied without hesitation, I have always held that the struggle between good and evil was eternal. Consequently, the cause of right and religion cannot be amalgamated with that of our opponents. We will welcome all those who wish to join our ranks. We will prosecute no one except for crime. But we cannot change our convictions, which are anchored in our souls, and which nothing can shake. Give up, then, all ideas of my conversion or a fusion of parties. Barrero called him a narrow-minded bigot, but be that as it may, his liberalism, together with his enmity to Garcia Moreno, caused him to be chosen as the favorite candidate of the sex, and the new era of Guayaquil, edited by young men, moved heaven and earth in his favor. Barrero, however, felt that his chances of success were so small that he implored his friends not to risk the disgrace of a defeat. Then the refugees of Lima and other places tried to intimidate the electors by frantic articles against Garcia Moreno. One of them, Pedro Moncajo, wrote a pretended biography of the president, accusing him of every imaginable crime. Another pamphlet recommended assassination as the only way for a nation to free itself from a tyrant. The atheist, Juan Montoval, published a pamphlet called The Perpetual Dictatorship, but which was nothing but a tissue of outrages and blasphemies against Garcia Marina and the Church, and called forth an indignant reply from the United States minister. These accusations, he wrote, make one smile with pity and contempt for their author, especially when one knows Garcia Marino and his history. Having resided in Ecuador for many years, and being perfectly cognizant of all that has passed, I speak with a thorough knowledge of my subject, and I do not exaggerate when I say that Garcia Marino is the most illustrious man in South America. Garcia Marino himself received these insults with joy. God has permitted that a pamphlet should appear, by Juan Montalvo, against me and the Church, in which I am stigmatized as a tyrant and a thief. I have reason to know that it is the work of the Freemasons, who have already distributed two thousand copies. But once more, I thank God that I am calumniated as a Catholic. All these maneuvers to prevent his re-election affected him the less, as he had long wished to retire into private life. He only consented to be put in nomination, if such were the absolute will of the nation, but strictly forbade his subordinates to make any efforts in favor of his candidature. On July twenty ninth, 1874, his father-in-law, Ignacio de Alcazar, wrote to reproach him for his indifferentism, adding, if the sects triumph, religion will be persecuted and public works abandoned. Civil war will recommence, and you will be assassinated in order to get rid of you. 
Garcia Marina replied, You have forgotten that I have never intrigued to obtain the presidency, and even if I wished for it, I have no right to do anything to obtain the votes of the electors. If, by the will of God, the people give me their suffrages, I will accept the presidency, because in that case I could not refuse, without being wanting in my duty to the nation. Again, on the 12th of September, Ignacio returned to the charge, complaining of his inactivity, when his enemies were moving heaven and earth against him. I do not understand, answered Garcia Marino, what you want my ministers to do. As private persons, they are free to vote as they like, but as public functionaries, I exact that they shall not take part in any propaganda in my favor. These letters to a relation, whom he so tenderly loved, proved that Garcia Marino submitted to his re-election, but did not wish for it. The people, however, did not take that view, and determined to re-elect him at whatever cost, so that finally Barrera withdrew his candidature, but after a furious diatribe against Garcia Marino in the new era, declaring that the article in the Constitution which authorized his re-election was simply an invention of his own to ensure his perpetual presidency. But the editors had reckoned too far on Garcia Marino's patience. He summoned Proano and Valverde before the court at Guayaquil for their seditious articles, and when the judge acquitted them from fear of the revolutionist, Garcia Marino appealed to the tribunal of Quito. Letters from Cuenca at the same time warned him that the revolution was about to break out in Guayaquil under the leadership of a certain Colonel Polanco, an officer of artillery. The government accordingly degraded Polanco, and when the Quito tribunal, with the cowardice of their Guayaquil brethren, refused to give judgment in the matter of the newspaper articles, Garcia Marino took the matter in his own hands. Having shown his counsel the fresh dangers with which the country was threatened, he placed the provinces of Guayaquil and Cuenca in a state of siege, and having summoned before him Proano and Valverde, ordered them to disavow publicly their infamous articles. On their refusal, he exiled them to Peru, while Dr. Arizaga, the alter ego of Barrero, was imprisoned in Quito. These affairs took place in the beginning of January 1875. Fifty days of the state of siege sufficed to put down the radical insurrection. Powerless to demolish the tyrant, as the followers of Barrero called Garcia Marino, they retired from the fight, leaving the vile slaves to reinstate Garcia Marino once more in the president's chair. The election took place in May with the most perfect quiet. Without promises or menaces, or any excitement, 23,000 electors spontaneously and joyfully gave their votes for the man whom they justly called the savior of their country. The radicals, finding all their efforts fruitless to weaken his popularity, then made up their minds to resort to extreme measures, and secretly prepared their daggers and revolvers. End of Part 3, Chapter 12